Thank you for listening to the first ever edition of the First and Ten podcast. It's a Tennessee Titans podcast brought to you by the Nashville Post. I am Post Sports reporter Michael Gallagher. Joining me for this first ever episode is Austin Wright. He is our intern for the summer. He is uh, interning. At, he's interning with us and then going back to the University of Missouri when school starts. And then we also have Corey Woodruff from our sister publication, the Williamson Homepage. He is their prep sports reporter over there. Um, Guys, thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Very excited to be here. It should be a very fun time. Yeah, so this will, we're gonna, we're probably gonna get weird. This is the first time we're doing this. We don't really have a script. We're just kind of, kind of winging it. But um, obviously we're, we're a little bit behind the game, uh, but we do want to talk about, since this is, a, uh, is our first episode, kind of talk about the, the big news of the off season, Julio Jones coming into, into Tennessee um, Corey, I specifically wanted to bring you on because you, you write for the Falcoholic. You are a huge Falcons fan, as anyone on Twitter who follows you can attest to. You have some pretty, you were pretty heartbroken when Julio Jones got traded. I figured you'd be probably best to, to speak to what kind of player Julio Jones is, what the Titans are exactly getting, and how big of a loss is it for Atlanta? Obviously, the cap hit that, you know, kind of crippled them. They had to in order to sign their draft class, they had to get rid of them. But how detrimental is it going to be for them? They have they have Pitts, they have they have Ridley, but losing a player of Julio Jones caliber is kind of just, just speak to that just to get us started. Yeah, no. Well, I'm just now leaving the house for the first time, um, starting to get acclimated to real life. Um, you know, actually trying to comb my hair in the morning, and uh, you know, actually, you know, sunlight is a very strange. No, so obviously it's very sad um, having followed Jones's entire career very intimately as a Falcons fan. Um, it's interesting. There has been a lot of hubbub, I think, about the Titans making this move. And I think that the problem with the Jones trade is that people kind of forgot the Atlanta Falcons existed after 28 to 3. Um, as some might be surprised to know they didn't just get punted out of the league to become an internet meme full-time. They actually still are a functioning football team with players and coaches. Um, they're, they're, it's interesting. There's they're still actually a team there in Atlanta. And Julio Jones has been very, very good um, in that duration of time. Uh, last season was a very firm anomaly for him. It was the first time since 2013 that he missed any substantial time. Um, he's been a very, very uh, gritted through type of guy when he's been injured in the past. And, you know, the team sucked last year. And I have a feeling that um, he might have played a little bit more if they had not been so miserable. But he kind of has talked about that he didn't give his hamstring proper time to heal. So, you know, there was a certain level where a lot of us were wondering, like, should he be out there? But then I think towards the end of the year, like if they were 12 and four and trying to make the playoffs, he probably would have tried to at least go out there and be a decoy if he couldn't completely get to full speed. But what are the Titans getting? I mean, they're getting a future Hall of Famer, and I don't mean that in the Randy Moss sense. Obviously, um, the Titans and future Hall of Fame receivers have not always linked well together, but um, there's only, I'll be blunt with you, there's only one thing that's going to hamper this, and that's Julio's health. Um, Julio Jones is still a He's a difference maker. I mean, again, people can discount this move if they want to, but if you're going to ask who's going to take this the most seriously, it's going to be the AFC South's fellow cornerbacks. 
Um, Julio Jones is a guy you have to respect. I mean, I've spent 10 years in Atlanta with opposing people talking about, okay, this is the guy we're going to focus on the most. Okay, this is the guy the coaches have the most respect for. It's the one who defensive backs will try to double team and have to game plan for. And it's a big deal if you can have a good game against Julio. Um, again, like, I mean this with all you know energy like i don't know if julio is like who he was in 2016 right now um where he was just playing at the pinnacle of his career and, and ending guys careers um with certain performances but like i think he's like 80 percent of that player still which makes him still one of the best receivers in the league and again like there's a certain level where people have i think very cliched conversations about this pick your poison mentality. I've seen it fail in Atlanta time after time and not go completely the full distance. But again, the Titans have, I think, one of the most interesting pick your poison offenses to come around the league in the last few years. I mean, again, you're not just talking about this is a good play. You're talking about who's been the best running back in the NFL, Derrick Henry. You're talking about who's been probably the best young receiver in the NFL over the last two, three years coming out as a rookie in A.J. Brown. Um, you're adding Julio Jones to the mix. I mean, obviously, you know, Todd Downing is going to have to bring something to the table as a play caller, but... I mean, Julio Jones is still a premier talent. And when he goes out on the field, as long as he's healthy, he's a premier talent. He's a guy that, like, you know, people are going to have to focus on him exclusively. And then they have to worry about Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. Like, I thought it was a really nice move by John Robinson. Like, you know, this is certain, you know, people can be critical of this idea that, like, they are a, you know, piece away or whatever when the defense was so bad last year. But again, if you're losing Arthur Smith, you have to replace him with something explosive. And they're, they're getting that in Julio Jones. I've, I've just watched him play too much football over the years to know that like this is not just like a desperate move and burning a draft pick for an aging player. Julio Jones is still one of the best players in the NFL. I mean, if he's completely healthy and on his game, like he might be the best player for the Titans on Sundays sometimes this fall. And that's really saying something with that offensive roster. Yeah, what's crazy is, too, he only played in nine games last year, but he wasn't too far off of the numbers Corey Davis put up in the entire season. I think he was like maybe 20-something receptions behind, maybe 150, 200 yards behind. Um, and just adding adding a player of that caliber, regardless of what people say, I think if Julio is fully healthy, which he seems like he is, that's a small sample size from OTAs and minicamp. If he's fully healthy, I do believe that he – he can be a top five, maybe that might be a little stretch, but a top 10 receiver. You pair him with, with A.J. Brown, and it just seems like this offense can just be dynamic. I mean, comparing them side by side through their first two seasons, Julio has more reception. So comparison, Julio has 133 receptions, A.J. Brown 122. Julio 2157 yards, A.J. Brown 2126. A.J. Brown has one more touchdown, and he averages almost a, a yard per reception more than Julio. So they're very similar players. And Austin, you kind of wrote about this for us last week. Um, just kind of how explosive the offense is with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and, and Brian Tannehill getting on the same page with Julio Jones. He's, he's already there with A.J. Brown. Just in your in your opinion, we, we've only seen a small sample size given we had, what, a day or two of OTAs and then two or three days of minicamp. And training camp is two, three weeks away. But you, you wrote about that and, and Tannehill and, and Julio getting on the same page. Just how, how crucial, obviously, you want your quarterback and top receiver to be on the same page, but how crucial do you think that's going to be given that Julio is kind of coming into this a little bit behind the eight ball? Well, I mean, certainly off field uh, relationships are going to be really important for any player that comes to a team, especially with a player like Julio Jones, who's one of the highest caliber players that you can get at a wide receiver position. I think that his relationship with Ryan Tannehill this off season is really going to be critical. 
and just their growth together off the field in addition to whatever they're going to be doing now in their training camps here coming up soon is going to be critical for going into the season just whether it be like the different kind of schemes that they want to go over or whether it be any kind of different number of uses that they want to use for the offense, whether it be just different types of pass routes that they want to manipulate with A.J. Brown going one way or Julio going another. Just those different types of things that they want to get hammered out now before the start of the season will be critical for sure before the start of the season comes up. And I think one of the, I guess I don't want to say one of the top things, but I think something that Julio brings to the table is his deep credibility. He adds another dimension on play action passes. We, we know, I mean, Arthur Smith is in Atlanta now and Todd Downing's kind of taking over, but we, we can kind of assume that's still going to be a staple in this Titans offense. Ryan Tannehill, I think last year of the numbers, he was third, he ranked third in passing yards and yards per attempt and seventh in touchdowns off play action. Um, and he, that since he's joined the Titans offense, that's kind of where he's thrived. And Corey, you can speak to this a little bit more than we can do more insight. That wasn't really something Atlanta did because they, they've had a tough go of finding good, solid, dependable running backs. Devontae Freeman was really good for a few years. He got injured. The Todd Gurley experiment didn't really work out. Um, the last couple of years, Atlanta hasn't really been a play action team. And now and now Julio's going to a team where he's going to be a future part of the offense. And it, it is kind of pick your poison. You have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones on the outside. Josh Reynolds over in the slot. He's talking about maybe Golden Tate signing with them. If that happens, like the, the options are just infinite for this team. Yeah, I mean, again, you're, you're correct to kind of talk about the Atlantic run game kind of plateauing after uh, and really going down and down and down after that, after Cal Shanahan went to San Francisco. Um, I tend to think that unless you are just like, you know, an Ezekiel Elliott type, like, you know, an Aaron Jones, somebody who just has that organic spark, a Derrick Henry, I would say, um, uh, you know, put it mildly, run game depends on scheme very heavily. And what happened in Atlanta is that when Shanahan left, you began to see Devonta Freeman, you know, his health really kind of took a toll on him as time went on, but he and Tevin Coleman, they weren't quite as effective without that Shanahan scheme opening up the lanes for them. Um, and again, like uh, something that Arthur Smith was really good at was creating a run game with that offensive line. I mean, again, uh, for a team to do what they did last year in, in Tennessee without Taylor Lewan at left tackle, that only that not only does that affect your pass protection, that affects the run game very aggressively because again, he is a major asset there. You know, again, the uh, Tennessee offensive line overperformed last year, I think, with the talent level that it had. I mean, again, Arthur Smith just did such a wonderful job programming that run game. And I think that, you know, Derrick Henry is a very talented player, but what's going to be interesting with me with Tennessee is that even if you begin to see a little bit of a decline from uh, Derrick Henry, which I think is coming, I'll be honest with you, I don't think he's going to be quite as effective going forward without having such a masterful play caller. Um, now, again, we don't know what Tom Downing's going to do, but to help withstand a little bit of that, it is going to help to have a player like Jones out there. Because again, I think that there were times last year where Derrick Henry had to be the guy to get that team going on offense. Um, again, I think that Ryan Tannehill is a very solid player. He's really had a really strong season and a half about. Um, but again, we don't know how he's going to do that, Arthur Smith. We don't know what this offense is going to look like. There's a lot of, on paper, it's really talented um, in a lot of spots. But you know, considering the production over the last season and a half when Tannehill took over. But I, I do wonder that this might end up looking even better because Jones will allow this team to not have to be so one-dimensional. Because again, if you get two guys trying to bunch up A.J. Brown and another world, you're depending on Josh Reynolds' pre-Jones trade to be that factor, okay? And again, I think that that's a drop-off from Corey Davis who really 
showed some nice promise last year. But now you're adding Julio Jones is going to be wearing a gold jacket one day. It completely changed the dynamic of how teams have to defend Tennessee. I mean, there's just no question about it. Um, so, again, Henry doesn't have to be the guy this year because, again, you've got two really good receivers who are going to be able to do some damage. And then a guy like Josh Reynolds may be playing in the slot, potentially Golden Tate, like you talked about. Again, they're, they're giving themselves the vitality they need to be able to withstand Arthur Smith, at least for now. Yeah, Arthur Smith, it just seemed couldn't do any wrong last year. It just seemed like every – except for when they got to the playoffs, he, he kind of had a little – not his best game against the Ravens. But in the regular season, it just seemed like everything he dialed up worked to perfection. And obviously with A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Derrick Henry, you know, that that just giant offensive line, it's it's easy to see why that happened. Um, but the Titans, they ranked second last year in, in yards per game, fourth in points per game. Historically, the best offensive team has had in franchise history – now Todd Downing is kind of stepping into that role. Austin, what do you what do you kind of think? What what are some good expectations for him? Obviously, having the second overall offense in the NFL, don't assume Derrick Henry is going to run for two thousand yards because back to back two thousand yard seasons just that just seems you know kind of not sustainable. But what do you think are realistic expectations for Todd Downing, given that he's being handed Julio Jones, he's already got AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, Anthony Ferkser is not Johnny Smith, but I think Anthony Ferkser can kind of get you by. And yeah, I was going to touch on Anthony Ferkser later in this podcast at some point because I think that he's going to have to be another critical role to be filled in for the Titans offense this season just because like they already have all those weapons ready for Todd Downing to work with. But finding more creativity and using other receivers such as Ferkser in the slot or wherever they may end up putting him for the season would be a great thing to utilize as well just to keep defenses on their toes as well. But Honestly, with all the weapons that he has available to him, Todd Downing really has a lot of creativity in whatever he wants to implement for any schemes that he feels might be necessary to just make defensive lives uh, just really dramatic and even more difficult than they already need to be considering they have to deal with Julio, they got to deal with A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry. But honestly, I don't think that, like you said, Derrick Henry could go for another 2000 season. That just doesn't seem realistic given how good he was last year. But he will be a force to be reckoned with yet again, just for the fact that he is just a physical monster and defenses will just have to be wary of whatever ways that the Titans line him up. And kind of the last thing we'll touch on before we kind of jump off the Julio Jones trade here. Uh, Matt Ryan did an interview, I think a couple weeks ago, um, and he was asked, what's the, what's the most underrated part of Julio Jones's game? And the quote was, I think it's the violence with which he runs. It's so intimidating. He's so physically gifted in making people feel he's just going to blow right by him. His stride length, his gait, it's unbelievable. He is as good as anybody of getting guys feeling like he's running a go route or running a post route than his ability to stop at the level of explosiveness and come out of it. Corey, you, I mean, you had a firsthand look at Julio Jones for, for mm -hmm. a decade. Do you feel that, that, that he can, that at 32, obviously the hamstring injury kind of hampered him a little bit, but do you feel if he's back to being healthy, that he can still be that that violent, explosive, physical runner. And if he is, how, how scary could the Titans offense be if Julio is vintage Julio Jones? Again, I'm not going to put it past them. I mean, obviously, the hamstring affects your explosiveness more than any probably injury you can get. I mean, obviously, like an ACL or something serious. But, like, you're talking about a nagging injury. I mean, the hamstring is just crucial. I mean, he has to be able – to have that kind of push off. And if your hamstring's out of whack, you're not gonna be able to get that nearly as well. You're gonna be in pain every time you're trying to plant your foot and really accelerate. So I, I think that as long as he's getting the care that he needs and that, you know, that they're monitoring him, obviously, um, 
Titans fans might be a little surprised to see his practice schedule when he gets to Tennessee. I don't imagine he'll practice a ton during the week. Um, again, a player like Julio Jones, you have to understand, too, he's going to be such a huge locker room asset. The second he walks in there, he's going to be one of the leaders. I mean, again, that's how he was in Atlanta. He's a very silent lead-by-example type. But, again, he's a guy that that entire locker room is going to have respect for. Um, Julio Jones has been one of the best players in the NFL over the last decade. I mean, a guy like that demands respect. And, you know, again, they're going to trust him to say that even if he's not practicing at a normal rate, that he's going to come out on game day and be ready to go. Because, again, he's always been – it's kind of like a really, really nice car. You may not, you know, take it around, you know, the street a bunch of times, but when it comes time to really go out there and drive fast, the car is going to be ready to go. Julio Jones requires a different level of maintenance than other NFL players due to his kind of injury history throughout his career. But the Falcons did a pretty good job for a long time of being able to manage that practice schedule and still maximizing what he can do on game day. So, again, I think as long as if the hamstring starts to bother him again, you know, he starts missing time. I do think that you won't fully get that you know, patented Julio Jones experience that we enjoyed so long in Atlanta. But this health is where it needs to be. I mean, again, he's never played with a receiver, um, you know, in this part of his career like A.J. Brown. Now, obviously, when he came into the league, he was with Roddy White. So for the longest time, people were worrying about Roddy White while Julio Jones was ascending. Um, so, again, you know, A.J. Brown's the best receiver he's played with since Roddy. And now he gets to be the guy who, you know, has this young guy who's emerging and now he can be the veteran that's out there and can make plays because once Julio really started to get going, Roddy was able to get open and do a little bit more since people were really having to worry about this really young, talented player who was just kind of smoking people on the field. So I think there's a lot of potential for Julio in this offense as long as that help kind of stays where it is. And kind of wrapping up here, we'll transition. We got two more topics to talk about real quick. I kind of want to go... Um, and get your guys get your guys opinion on what is your your training camp battle to watch what position group are you watching where there's some perceived competition that that maybe it's a coin flip as as to who's playing and who's not um i'll kind of start off i'm gonna go with some low-hanging fruit i'm gonna go with the cornerbacks just because there's there's just so many possibilities so many what ifs uh janoris jenkins i i, I refuse to call a 32 year old man jack rabbit he's janoris jenkins um, you have him, Christian Fulton, Caleb Farley, Elijah Molden, Breon Borders, Kevin Peterson, Chris Jackson, Greg Maben, and Quentin Meeks. That's that's the, the cornerback group. I, I do believe that the Jenkins and Fulton kind of locked down the two cornerback spots. And I believe Elijah Molden is going to take hold of that starting nickelback spot. I, I do think he, he thrives in the slot. Um, he played both safety and slot corner at Washington. Um, 74% of his snaps came from the slot. It's, he's very familiar with it. He only allowed two touchdowns in four years of college. Um, I believe he was pro football focuses. He had pro football focuses highest ever coverage grade from the slot. I think he had the fourth best overall coverage grade in college football since 2019. I, I think he can lock down that slot role. You have Jenkins and Fulton kind of starting on the outside that allows Caleb Farley the time he needs. If he's not ready for in training camp or ready for the first couple games of the season, that allows Farley to kind of come along at his own pace. Maybe he comes in and he takes one of the starting spots. Maybe he pushes Fulton into the slot. Maybe Molden's playing more of a hybrid safety corner role. Um, but I do think that they're they're set up well with Fulton, Farley, and Molden, and maybe even Breon Borders. I kind of liked how he played last year down the stretch. But the Titans, their secondary was awful last year. They had the fourth mo allowed the fourth most passing yards, second most touchdown passes. 
but I do think they are set up well to contend. So that's kind of the group I'm going for. Austin, we'll go with you, and then Corey will hit you after that. So the position group, I would say, that's going to be very important to watch for for the Titans this offseason uh, would be the defensive line, really. With Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry for sure being in the lineup, after that, it really isn't for sure who else really can be a very consistent starter over there on the defensive line. I mean, because they lost Daquan Jones. And so with that, I mean, there's a lot of open gaps still available for the Titans to make some moves there. So, I mean, whoever rises out of training camp and really can get their feet set uh, for the defensive line to be able to get uh, some more momentum there in the offseason and try to cause more havoc up front, I think those are going to be some of the positions to watch for, really. I mean, you look at Woodrow Hamilton, Trayvon Coley, those guys, I think they're going to be important to watch for for whoever can cause havoc up front for the defensive line for the Titans. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that the biggest drop-off that Tennessee is going to have to face this next year is just how crucial the tight end position was to the offense. I think that was kind of the secret sauce that made Arthur Smith's offense really work. Um, you know, that was like, that was his special ingredient, is that he was able to run that 12 personnel, put the two tight ends out there with Janu and Fersker. And, you know, again, like it reminded me a lot of the Shanahan offense that is highlighted in Atlanta, is that he was able to maximize every single ounce of talent and then go even past that with the tight end personnel that they had. Again, I don't think you want to go into the season with Anthony Fersker as your top tight end. Again, this to me, he seems like the quintessential guy who was a beneficiary of scheme. And Johnny Smith, you know, up in New England with his gigantic contract, may have been the more pure talent player that ended up getting, you know, his obviously his, you know, market deal as he deserved to for the production he had in Tennessee. I think that, you know, obviously the wide receiver group, you know, especially if they add somebody as, you know, talented as Golden Tate, is it's pretty set right now. You know, it's got some pretty solid depth. Um, you know, a new draft pick in Desmond Patrick. Josh Reynolds is a good, solid, dependable, uh, you know, guy to have past your top two dudes. The tight end group doesn't look good at all. Geoff Swaim is not a factor in the passing game. Jared Pigney's coming over from Atlanta, a guy who had some pretty decent production in Vanderbilt, but you know, obviously the quarterback play there was never you know quite there for him like it should have been. Um, so that could be a guy that could make the roster maybe filter in a little bit as he develops more. But again, like they don't have a lot, I think, to be you know hanging their hat on. So Todd Downing is going to have to get creative with how he's utilizing other positions. Now, you say Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, you feel pretty set on offense, like we're going to be fine. But again, part of the identity of this team was the way that they utilized the tight ends. I mean, you have a new play caller, your identity changes a little bit. So while you do kind of have this very illustrious position group and Ryan Tannehill's played pretty well over the last two years, like there is a certain level where it's like part of what made you just go that extra mile may not be there anymore. So how can they adjust? And again, it's a big year for Fersker. He's attending the tight end you um, with all the guys in the league right now that uh, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are doing. So maybe that'll help him continue to advance his game. And Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is that organic talent, but I think right now you have to kind of look at this position group with a little bit of skepticism to know that like you may not have a play caller that can maximize the tight end position, which puts a lot more pressure on the running back and wide receiver group. Yeah, I think I think both are really good answers. Um, I, I almost went with the tight end group as well because I could I could kind of see Anthony Ferkser. He just he catches everything with his hands. He's really really good 
catching the ball. Jeff Swain's kind of more of a blocking tight end. Um, and I kind of went back and forth because I could I could see Ferkser maybe not being a 70 reception, 1,000-yard you know, tight end, but I could see him kind of emerging and having that Johnny Smith type year last year, this year. But I could also see him just kind of being a role player too. It's 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 kind of 50-50 for me. Um, I do think that'll be, that'll be something to watch as well. And kind of the last thing we'll touch on here real quick is I want – to go through and kind of let's let's give our predictions for breakout player the titans breakout player of the year um i'll start us off i think what you were right on the money austin with the defensive line being kind of one of those groups to watch for too so i think my my breakout player of the year was, is jeffrey simmons um he just spoke to the media last week he was talking about how he's gotten lighter he's more intentional you know he had that acl surgery so he lost weight last offseason he's lost a little bit more this this offseason um, he's about how he's feeling better. He's cut down on, on late night snacking and he's taking better care of his body. Um, so I think if, he, if he's lighter, he's quicker, he's more agile. We saw how good he was last year. There was a time where most of the time it seemed like he was the best defensive player on the team. Um, so I think if he really has kind of slimmed down, gotten quicker, he's just going to be a load to try and deal with. And he was already really good last year. So if he takes another step this year, he improves his quickness, he improves his hands, and he's, he's more of a challenge for the offensive lineman to stop. I could really see Jeffrey Simmons kind of maybe not moving into the, the Aaron Donald category just yet, but I could see him taking a gigantic step closer to that just because if he if he can become that force, that wrecking ball on the defensive line that they thought that he would be when they took him in 2019, I think the sky is the limit for him, and he's just he just oozes potential. And, and I think in a couple of years, we'll be looking at the Titans and John Robinson really getting a steal in, in that draft. Because a lot of people, Jeffrey Simmons' injury was a big red flag. And John Robinson, kudos to him. He's like, you know what? He's so talented, we can wait. He came in, he missed, I think, the first nine, 10 games. Played really well. He benefited from having, you know, Drill Casey next to him. Last year, he stepped into that role as the guy. I think having Danico Autry next to him will really help him out. But I just think he's just gonna take a bigger step forward this year. So I think, for me, Jeffrey Simmons is kind of going to going to be the breakout player. Uh, Austin, who, who do you have? I'm actually going to go with someone on the offensive line here. I'm going to go with possibly someone who can uh, just do the job for the Titans. Maybe Dylan Raddins, who can who the Titans drafted just this year. Maybe he can actually find a way to step up here in training camp and find a way onto the offensive line for the Titans and make a big uh, impact for them. It may not be a right tackle necessarily, but in case they have to move him any, anywhere around if Todd Downing decides to do so. But I think that his addition could be important for the Titans considering that Tannehill's really going to need a lot of protection if he wants to find those receivers downfield later in the season. Anybody who's got any experience on the offensive line already, it's going to be crucial for the Titans to have on the team just considering the fact that they're going to need to protect him in any way possible whenever they get into any types of passing situations. So I think that he could be a big impact player for the Titans and could find a way to make this very uh, successful for them on the offensive line. What about you, Corey? Um, I'm going to go with Imani Hooker. Um, it seems like, you know, at least right now, that's going to be your starting strong safety on day one. I know he's kind of listed as a free safety, but with Kenny Vaccaro gone, he's the next guy up. They didn't really make any major investments into the safety position this offseason. Um, Amani Hooker's a guy who probably should have been drafted a bit higher than he was um, when he came out of college and someone who seems to have really started to kind of lurch his way onto the field as time and time has gone on. And, you know, to not bring back a guy like Kenny Vaccaro speaks volumes to how Tennessee feels about, I think, Hooker's development. Now, obviously, you've got Kevin Byard. He's 
you know, maybe the best free safety in football right now. Um, you know, you don't need to have a world breaker at strong safety when you have someone like Bayard. But again, if, you know, Hooker can step in there and give them some really solid play and really lock that spot down, I think that takes a lot of alleviation away from Tennessee worrying about what's going to happen to the secondary. Because again, you're right, like there's a lot of, you know, potential for that cornerback group to go through a lot of, you know, growth on the field. You know, these are guys that are played together. They completely scrap things and are starting from the ground up building that group back. So there's going to be some growing pains there. And it's going to be a lot easier for that secondary to be reliable, at least, you know, as much as it can be going under so much change, if you can get the safety position pretty well settled with a guy who knows the system, who has some, you know, at least some experience playing with Bayard and playing um, in the scheme that Tennessee runs. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Hooker really can step up and be the starter that they need with Vaccaro now elsewhere. You know, I think he's still a free agent, but you know, he's he's clearly not in Tennessee still. Yeah, and, and having Monty Hooker on the roster makes parting with someone as as good as Kenny Vaccaro is a little bit more, a little bit easier to take because he did have such a promising year last year. Um, I do think playing next to Kevin Byard really kind of rubbed off on him, and I, I, do, I do think that Hooker will be one of their better players this year as well. And if not, that's why you go and you get an Elijah Molden. You you have an insurance policy, someone that can play in the play nickelback, someone who can play play safety if, if Imani Hooker doesn't work out. Um, I definitely think that that's going to be another player, another position group to watch as well. That'll kind of that'll wrap it up for us here. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for listening and, and bearing with us. The the first time we've done this, the, the goal is to kind of keep it twenty to thirty minutes. There's. 40,000 other Titans podcasts. We want to stick out by being the one that doesn't waste your time by talking about the important stuff, getting right to what you want to hear, what you want to know. Um, thank you guys for joining me. You can find Corey. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Corey Woodruff 47. And Austin, what's yours? Austin underscore right 33. And you can find me on Twitter at MG sports underscore. Uh, you can find all of our work on the Williamson homepage and the Nashville post. You can follow the post on Twitter at Nashville Post at Endpost Sports. And thank you guys for listening.